0: Love it. Love it. Exodus 31 tonight. Exodus 31. While you're turning there, a couple of reminders. Tomorrow at 9.30 and 6.30, everyone is invited to uh, Marcia's presentation of their trip to the Holy Land. Going to be sharing not only the beautiful pictures and sights, but also sharing a lot of great information about the Holy Land. So you can choose either time, 9 30 in the morning or 6 30 in the evening. And again, that's not just for women, it's for everyone in the church. Then, two weeks from tonight, May 10th, worship night. Don't want to miss it. Nicole's going to be leading us on May 10th for an entire hour of worship. And it's just one of the things that we need to keep going with in our church. We need to keep growing in the word, and we also need to keep growing in our worship. And so we're going to continue to press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And, you know, there's times where it's great to have extended time in the word, but there's also times where we need extended times just to worship God, just to praise him. So May 10th, 7 o'clock, right here in the auditorium. Exodus 31, I entitled, taking it from two words, one in verse 2 and one in verse 3, chosen and filled. You'll see those two words there, chosen and filled. The God of the universe, who created this whole universe without any of our help, right? Right? <laughs> can do a great job without us. But his plan, once he created us, was to always use us. Not because he has to, but because he wants to use us. And here in this chapter, we are reminded again that God has a plan and purpose for every human being. For every last one of us. Again, not because he has to use us, but because he wants to use us. He has a place of service for each of us. God, even in this context, was very capable of creating the tabernacle up there in heaven and then dropping it down to earth. God was very capable of creating all of the priestly garments and making all of them and then just sending them down to earth and doing it all himself. But as we're going to see tonight, that's not how God works. That's not how God worked in the Old Testament. That's not how God works today. God is saying, my house of worship, the place of meeting where you come together as my people to meet me and to worship me is also a place of service. And through your worship, and through your service, you're going to grow. You're going to mature. You're going to become all that I created you to be as you worship me and as you serve me. You will be distinguished. You will be set apart. You will be consecrated more and more and more as you come to my house and as you serve me in the way I want you to serve me, in the way I created you to serve me, in the way I called you to serve me. Tonight we're going to be introduced to a couple of gentlemen who are not very well known in the Bible and yet they are key in God's plan and purposes to the building of the tabernacle, to all the furniture in the tabernacle, to all the furnishings in the tabernacle. In a sense, Bezalel is the general contractor of this project. And Oliab is his partner in this project and ministry. So notice, first of all, though, in verse 1, and you see this phrase again in verse 12, That everything that Moses was sharing with the people were things that the Lord had already spoken and said to him. He was being directed by the word of God. There again, the word of God and the worship of God complement one another. God's word is going forth to Moses. Moses is listening to the word of God and he is sharing it with the appropriate people. And by that word, they are even being directed and taught how to worship God. And a big part of how you and I worship God is through service, not just through praising him, not just through exalting him in song, but also in service. So notice what we read here in chapter 31. The Lord spoke to Moses See, I have chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. First of all, notice that God knows this man by name. God knows his father's name. God knows his grandfather's name. God knows what his family line and history is. And God knows the same thing about us as well. He knows everything about us down to the minutest detail. He not only knows everything about us, but all of those in our family who came before us. In fact, he knows it better than us, and he even knows it better than Ancestry.com because he can go all the way back. And he knows all the relationships. But I want you to see something here. God chose this man, Bezalel. He had a calling for this man. And that calling was based on who he knew this man to be, how he created this man, and what he was going to, as we're going to see in a moment, fill this man with. Again, I want to make this real practical and real applicable for each of us tonight. Everyone in this room, everyone who's watching tonight, you and I can put ourselves in that very same place. God has not only created us and saved us, God has chosen us for something. God has a calling for each of us. He has something within his plan and his purpose that he wants us to do for him. And not just for him, but also to benefit and bless his people. Because you can't have one without the other. It goes together. If I'm serving God, then that also means I'm blessing God's people. I'm profiting them. I'm benefiting them in some way. And that was true of Bezalel. What is the calling upon your life? What has God chosen for you? It is one of the most important things that we as God's people need to seek And it's okay if you don't know exactly what that is, but begin to seek the Lord and draw near to him and say, God, why did you create me? Why did you put me here? Why did you save me? What is my purpose for being here? What is my calling? What have you chosen me to do? But then I love this. So many Christians, one of the reasons that they never seek the calling of God is because they don't feel equipped. And God is basically promising all of us here, even in this passage, everyone that I choose, I fill. Everyone that I have a calling on, I will supernaturally enable them and empower them to do what I'm asking them to do. It doesn't have to come from us. It's going to come from God. Everything that you and I need to carry out our calling and what God has chosen for us, he will fill us with. It's one of the reasons why I had to stop arguing with God about planning this church. Because I kept telling God, I'm not adequate. and God kept telling me, I know you're not. <laughs> but I will make you adequate. I will fill you, Jeff, with everything you need to lead this people and to fulfill the calling I have for you. And God's not only that way with Jeff Royce, God's that way with every last one of us. Whoever he chooses for something, he fills us with the abilities, the talents, the skills, the gifts, the wherewithal, the know-how to be able to do it. We don't have to worry about that. God will make sure we have everything and everyone that we need. Because our God will supply all our need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. So notice, God chose Bezalel, and then verse three, he filled him. God is our sufficient source for all that we need. We never have to look outside of God for anything. He's absolutely sufficient. And notice what God said he was going to fill Bezalel with. The Spirit of God. That's all Bezalel would ever need. That the Spirit of God would then give him Everything specifically that he would need to carry out being the general contractor of the tabernacle. Now, I want to share something else with you all tonight. It's very significant to me that the very first person who is said to have been filled with the Spirit was not a patriarch was not a prophet, was not a priest. The very first person mentioned in the Bible to be filled with the Spirit is this man right here. A contractor, a builder. All apologies to Bob the builder, but this is Bezalel the builder. And the reason why that is significant is because that reminds us that God does not compartmentalize. There is no such thing as sacred and secular to God. God holds what you do for him in your occupation out there in the world, and he will fill you with his spirit to carry out his wishes for you out there just as he's going to do within his body. Obviously, all of us are inhabited by the Spirit, but we need to be filled with the Spirit. Here's how I like to remember it. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is the Spirit taking up residence. The filling of the Spirit is the Holy Spirit being the president, not just the resident. He's in charge. He leads. He controls. See, we can have the Holy Spirit as the resident, but we also need him as the president. And notice here, God is saying, when he is filled with the Holy Spirit, he's going to have everything he needs to literally oversee this entire project. First of all, the Holy Spirit is going to fill him with skill. It can also be translated wisdom. And it's not just any wisdom. It is the wisdom to decide. The wisdom to make decisions. And you think about that. This man, as a general contractor, is the overseer of this project. He was going to have many decisions to have to make. Which ones would he prioritize? When would he make them? How would he make them? God was going to fill him with the Spirit so that he would have the wisdom to make the decisions when he needed to make them, how he needed to make them, and to prioritize the decisions in the order that he needed to make them. You see this same wisdom through someone else very famously in the Word of God. In fact, someone who's Primarily known for this kind of wisdom. His name is Solomon. And you remember the story. God basically comes to Solomon, just as he did to the blind beggar in Sunday's passage, and says, What can I do for you, Solomon? And Solomon didn't ask for all the normal things. Solomon says, God, if I'm going to be the leader of your people, I want wisdom. And it, it literally was the wisdom to make the right decisions at the right time. And then the Bible tells us right away, gives us an illustration of that wisdom. If you know the story, these two women come to Solomon, both of them claiming that they are the mother of this child. And Solomon's the one that's got to figure out who's the real mother here because obviously they both can't be the mother of the child. And in the wisdom that God gives him, he's able to discern who the real mother is. Every one of us hopefully looks to the Spirit of God for the wisdom to make the right decisions at the right time and in the right order. And the filling of the Spirit is what gave this man that skill. Then notice, the Spirit of God also filled him with understanding. The word means insight. And if you know me too, you know that not only am I sort of the, the, the Hebrew and, and, and Greek geek, but I'm very much a linguistics nerd. And, and I, I've, I've done a lot of study over the years on the etymology of, of words And one one thing that I've learned is that sometimes the the meaning and shades of meaning of words are literally hidden in plain sight. And there's two of them here, and that's why I want to talk about this for a moment. If you just look at the word understanding, I want you to divide that word after the word under. Hmm. Understanding, In other words being able to see below the surface, being able to see and have insight and perception into something. It is an understanding, you see. God filled this man with that ability to be able to have the insight and the wherewithal, to, to be able to see maybe a little bit deeper You know, as I've shared before that, you know, all of our lives are like icebergs and sometimes situations and circumstances are like that too. All that we normally see is that little bit that sticks up above the water, but there's so much more to the iceberg below it. Well, through the Spirit of God, God can give us that insight to be able to see a little bit deeper, a little bit further, a little bit under the surface than what we could normally see without the aid of the Spirit. Same thing with knowledge. Notice the Spirit of God gives him knowledge. And there's a couple things I want to point out here. First of all, this word speaks about someone who has a confident knowledge. Not someone who's speculating, oh, I think this is what God wants, but someone who's confident a knowing, this is what I know God wants. And obviously, this man was going to have to have that kind of knowledge. Also, divide this word up. Divide it after the word know. It is being at the ledge and having a knowing at the ledge sometimes when we're at the ledge when we're at the precipice of something we sort of shrink back because we're not sure <laughs> because we're on the ledge and god wants to fill us with his spirit so that even when we are at the edge and we can't see any further that we're confident where god wants us to go because through the spirit he gives us that know-how I know, God, even at the ledge where you're leading and where you want me to go. And then God, through his spirit, also gives this man the ability in all kinds of craftsmanship or workmanship. What's this word speak about? It speaks about, and you can see this, obviously, with this man, how this would have been needed. He had all these pieces of a puzzle, all the furnishings, all the garments, all the tabernacle. He had all these separate pieces, and he had to have the ability through the Spirit of God to be able to continually put puzzle pieces together and put this puzzle together. Not only the pieces themselves, but the people that would be able to carry this out and work on all these different teams. Because obviously he was going to have to have a garment team. He was going to have to have an Ark of the Covenant team. He was going to have to have a brazen altar team. He was going to have to have a lampstand team. He was going to have to delegate all these things to the right people. And he was going to have to figure out who were the best people to carry out and be on all these teams and work together. He had all these puzzle pieces and in his craftsmanship and workmanship, he could see the big picture at all times, but he could also get down into the details and the weeds of the project as well. That's a special gift. Because most people that can see the big picture aren't very good at the details and weeds, and many times the people that are very good at the details and weeds can't see the big picture. But God can give us the ability when we need it to do both. And that's exactly what he did with Bezalel. Think about all that this man had to do. In fact, in verse 4, God also said, I'm going to give this man through the Spirit of God, the ability to be an innovator, to literally invent. That's what the word making artistic designs, verse 4, literally means. He's not only going to be a builder, he's not only going to be a designer, he's going to be an innovator. He's going to be able to invent things. And so here you see this beautiful picture that God has been very detailed in what he wants and the colors and and the, the sizes of things. But even within that, God has left leeway for his construction crew to be able to sort of put their own personalities and their own stamp and their own creativity that he built within them too. And God is doing the same thing today. That's how he works. He, he gives us leadership into, this is what I want you to do, but, but like for me, it's like, I want you to teach this passage of Scripture. But he allows me a lot of leeway as to how I do it and how I present it and how I package it. And God does the same thing with each of us when we're fulfilling our calling. God will give us certain parameters, but then he gives us also the freedom because he wants us to express who he made us to be, to shine forth in how he uses us Amen. and gives us, then a, we have our stamp on that. We, we have our fingerprints on that. No one else that we could ever bring in to our church to lead us in worship could ever do it like Nicole. God made her absolutely unique. God's done that with every last one of us. You have a uniqueness. You You have things, combinations of gifts, abilities, and talents that no one else has. And no one else will. Now, can somebody fill in? Can somebody, you know, take that position? Yeah, but it'll never be like you could do it. There was never another Bezalel in Israel, can I tell you? Even when they made the temple and the second temple, there was never another Bezalel. Notice, God was also going to give him the ability to work with gold, silver, and bronze, so multi-materials, you know, and to cut and set stone and cut wood, verse 5, to work in all kinds of craftsmanship, That was amazing, the ability that God gave this one man to be able to do it himself, but also to be able to teach it and oversee it to others and and to bring them into the project and to, to get it all to be what God wanted. But again, like God always does too, he never wants us to do it alone. The pattern throughout the entire Bible, Old and New Testament, is always two, always partnerships. So notice verse 6. Moreover, I have also given him Eliab, again, knowing who his father was and where he came from, his tribe. He gave Bezalel a partner, a helper, to stand with him. Because as Ecclesiastes says, two are always better than one. And what did Jesus do in the New Testament? When he sent out his followers, he sent them out two by two. When God gives you a partner, my goodness, what a blessing that is. So that you can use your synergy, if you will, to come together and to bless God's people and to bring glory to him. Notice he says, I gave him the ability, verse 6, to all the specially skilled, that they may make everything I have commanded you. Everything. Notice verse 7, the tent of meeting, The Ark of the Testimony or the Ark of the Covenant, the atonement lid, the furnishings of the tent, verse 8, the table table with all of its utensils, the lampstand, the utensils of the lampstand, the altar of incense, the altar for burnt offering, its utensils, the large basin, the woven garments, the holy uh, priest's garments, over and over, the anointing oil, the sweet incense that we talked about last week. They will make all these things, oh yeah, and no deviations or... Improvising. Now, again, in what God said to them, God obviously was going to use their personalities and their gifts and talents to be able to weave themselves in it. It's just like he did with the Word of God. This is God's Word. (laughs) But God used different human authors to write it, and that's why each book of the Bible written by different authors has their own twist to it. That's why Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, even though they're four Gospels and they are all dealing with pretty much the same life story and ministry of Jesus, they all have a different perspective. They all have a different slant. They all have a different personality. They all have different emphasis. Why? Because God used that. And God is the same way today. He wants to use you in the way he created you and what he's filling you with through his spirit to be able to put your own. And, and that's why there's no contradiction. If, if you're putting yourself into it, that's God. You were made in the image of God. And when God called you and chose you, he didn't just randomly give you certain gifts and talents and abilities. He made you exactly the way he wanted so that everything in a sense that comes through you is, is going to come through your personality and all of that. It's going to have a reflection of him, but also you in him and you through him, you see. Sorry, I just get passionate about this. And then verse 12. The Lord comes back and he says, oh, and by the way, None of this is going to work unless my people continue to come together and meet with me. Because that's the whole purpose for it. The whole purpose of all this service and all this construction and all this building and all the sewing and and metalworking and everything is so that, that my house of worship can be built so that my people can worship me but also worship me through service and through service of me as they even continue to keep the ministry of the tabernacle going. And the same thing is true today. Each of us, and we're going to hear more about this on Sunday, each of us are responsible to, have to do our part in the body of Christ Amen. and to serve a community of believers in some way, but it starts with us being faithful to the house of God and, as the writer of Hebrews says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but actually being more committed to meeting together on a consistent basis. And God is trying to instill that same principle in the Israelites, even in the Old Testament, by the keeping of the Sabbath. Notice what he says, verse 13. Tell the Israelites, Surely you must keep my Sabbaths. The word keep means to protect, to guard, to hedge about. Why? Because if you and I don't guard certain things in our life, there will always be something that intrudes upon it. If we don't say, this is something I guard, this is a priority, I'm protecting it. I'm guarding it. I'm putting a hedge about it. Then it doesn't matter what comes up. We keep it. We keep it. For it is a sign between me and you. What's that mean? Well, God's saying we're in this relationship, right? If you're not wanting to pursue me and meet with me and spend time with me, that shows you don't have very much value in this relationship. Same thing is true with our relationships. If we value relationships, we want to spend time. We, we want to pursue. We, we want to meet. Right? God's the same way. That's why it's called the tent of meeting. <laughs> so that you may know by experience that I am the Lord who sanctifies you. How does he sanctify us? How do we know he's doing it? When we meet together. God will continually set us apart, distinguish us, consecrate us as we meet with him as his people. That's what God's saying. But he's saying if you don't guard it and keep it, then you're limiting what I want to do. In your midst. You see, God always meets with us personally. We have a personal relationship with God, but we also have a relationship with God through a community of God's people. And both should be of high value. Both. Because God said, I value both, I work through both. You see. So you must keep the Sabbath, verse 14, for it is holy for you. It's to be sacred. Everyone who defiles it, you know what that means? Treats it lightly. and no big deal. I'm going to blow it off. I'm not going to the Sabbath and meeting with God. (laughs) Glad this doesn't happen today, right? Must surely be put to death. That's how serious God took keeping the Sabbath. Because it's about relationship. And if you never spend time with God and you never meet with him and you don't see the value in what God is going to do even in a community of believers that he's not going to do even with us personally. God's going to work in a whole different dynamic with us when he brings us together than what he ever will with just us personally. And that's why we need both that personal relationship with God and that relationship that we have with God as we come together as his people. Verse 15, six days work may be done, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath of complete rest, God's gift of rest, holy, set apart to the Lord. Now notice verse 16. How do the Israelites keep the Sabbath? By observing the Sabbath. How do, you, how do you guard something? You do it. It's exactly what God is sowing here. How do we keep the Sabbath? By celebrating it. By doing it. We do the same thing. How do I guard the things that are important to me in my life? By doing them. That's how I do them. Not by saying they're important. By doing them. That's how I express the value of it. It is a sign, verse 17, between me and the Israelites forever. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, and on the seventh day he rested, he paused and was refreshed to breathe. I shared that with you before worship tonight. To pause, to breathe. That's why God wants us to make sure we keep it too. It's not just the dynamic of what he's going to do and how he's going to work and move as we come together as his people, but he understands we need to pause to breathe in our life. If we don't, we're running on empty and we're running out of breath. And I'm not just talking about physical breath. I'm talking about spiritual breath. I'm talking about the vitality and energy that we should be living with as the people of God. That's why, can I tell you, as soon as Sunday's over, I'm dog-tired after the 11 o'clock service on Sunday, but but mentally, I'm like, I can't wait till Wednesday. And then as soon as tonight's done, guess what I'm going to be thinking about? I can't wait till Sunday. Because I need that time that even though I'm serving in a sense, it's still refreshing for me. Because I think that that's what God does. He blesses us and honors us when we fulfill the calling that he has on our lives. Even when we're pouring ourselves out in service. And when we're around our brothers and sisters in Christ. Well, finally, verse 18, he gave Moses two tablets of testimony when he had finished speaking. We know what these are, right? The Ten Commandments. They were tablets of stone written by the finger of, of God stone and yet it had the fingerprints of God all over it why because it was the word of God and God wrote it so here again you have the importance of the word of God and you have the priority of the worship of God but also in this obviously you have the service of God Because why was God going to fill these men and all of the artisans and all of the builders and all of them that was going to put this great tabernacle together? Because that was how they were going to serve him in fulfilling the calling that God had on their life. Now, I want you to keep, especially that word stone and that phrase, the fingers of God in your mind, and I want you to turn to one other verse with me before we close tonight. If you go over to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5. 1 Peter. I love this. How the Old Testament and the New Testament just, again, complement each other. Beginning in verse 4 of 1 Peter 2, Peter writes about Jesus being a living stone. And we're going to talk about him being a cornerstone, too, in a couple weeks out of Luke. Priceless in God's sight. But don't miss what he says in verse 5 of 1 Peter 2. You. That means you. If you're here tonight and you know the Lord as your Savior, he's speaking to each of you and me. You yourselves... You're living stones. That's crazy, isn't it? I've never seen a rock that's alive. But God says, oh, yeah, because guess what? I'm building something. I'm building something. In fact, Paul talks about this in the the book of Ephesians. I'm building a spiritual house that is the habitation of God in the spirit. And each of you is a stone in that building. And, and the stone part is that you are secure and you are stable and you are strong, but it also means you are very much alive in me. You have an energy and a vitality that only can come from God. And notice, all of us together are to be built up as a spiritual house. And then I love this. Doesn't this connect back to the book of Exodus? To be a holy priesthood and to offer spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Wow. It's exactly what we've been learning in the book of Exodus the priesthood, the sacrificial system. And yet, God is saying to each of us, not much different, might look a little different, but you're still priests and you're still to be offering sacrifices. And you're still a stone in my house that I am building. And if you allow the Spirit of God to fill your life, the fingerprints of God will be all over our lives just as it was those two tablets of stone that Moses carried down off the mountain. I hope you see that connection tonight. God is writing a story into us as living stones. And he's not only writing a story in us, he wants to write his story through us so that other people can see the fingerprints of God are on that person. Not only being created by God and saved by God, but called by God chosen by God for a purpose, a purpose, not only to bring glory to him, but to benefit and bless his people. You are a living stone built into God's spiritual house. Father God, we thank you tonight for this amazing story of how you built the tabernacle, your house, using just people like us. But God, the amazing thing is you chose them. You had a plan and purpose, Lord, even before you made them. Before the foundation of this world, God, you knew who you wanted to fulfill certain things in your house and in your plan and in your purpose, and you created them in such a way, and then you called them in such a way. And then you filled them with everything through the Spirit of God that they would need to fulfill and carry out their calling. We never need to look outside of ourselves When we have the Holy Spirit of God within us, we have the sufficient God of the universe living inside of us, and there's nothing we need beyond or outside of him. It's all within him. All the skill, all the wisdom, all the knowledge, all the understanding, all the craftsmanship, all the know-how, all the wherewithal, all the putting of the puzzle pieces together, it all comes through the Spirit of God. So, Lord, I pray that in some ways that might actually encourage a lot of folks tonight because it sort of simplifies things. We don't have to run hither and yon trying to find out what we need. It's all within us. As we continue, Lord, to follow you and meet with you as we meet with one another. God, may we not only guard the things of value to you, but may we observe them and do them. May we not be hearers only, but doers of the word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks so much for being here. We'll see you next week.